McShane Bible Study, day 188, and we're starting in Joshua 9, and this is where the Gibeonites uh, trick uh, the people of Israel, um, because now they've conquered a couple different uh, kings, and the people, the, all the Canaanites, have banded together and say, we've got to stop these people, they're unstoppable. And the Gibeonites decided, we're going to trick them. So they they uh, got old bread and old clothes, old wineskins, and they came in and said, we're from very far away, but we've heard about your great God. We want to make a covenant with you. And they said, how do we know that you're not from among the land? And they said, well, look at how old our stuff is. We're from far away. And Joshua says, okay, we'll make a covenant with you. But the key verse is 14. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. See, this is an important thing for us to remember, because this is very common for all of us. Joshua's heart was to seek the Lord. We've seen that throughout his life following Moses. He was the one that wanted to hang out in the presence of the Lord. Um, God anointed him as the new leader when Moses was gone. His heart was to seek the Lord and follow the Lord. But this new circumstance came up unexpectedly, and he made a decision out of the flesh. He trusted his own understanding instead of saying, well, I'm going to seek the Lord about this. And because he trusted his own understanding, he made the wrong decision. And these were people that were supposed to be annihilated, and instead they didn't. They ended up just becoming slaves and you know, now we have a second class of people around amongst the people, which was not God's intent. In Psalm 140 and 141, uh, the, the last two verses of 140 stood out to me just because this is the plan of God. And so David is, is praying, knowing that God will bring this about. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. This is the kingdom. This is God's plan. And we're in Psalm 141. And David, I don't even know if I... David says in verse 5, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Well, who wants to be struck? Who wants to be rebuked? No one wants those things, right? But David had understanding that God taught him in many different ways, and he humbled himself. So he took it and received it. Instead of being arrogant in his own ways and saying, I want to do this, I want to do that, he received this as a blessing from the Lord. Right? Mm-hmm. Verse 8 says, But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. This goes right to what Joshua, this is where Joshua's heart should have been. And I'm not putting down Joshua. He, he was a great man that continually sought the Lord. And he just made a mistake with the Gibeonites. And this is David's heart right now. But we know he also made mistakes too, right? But at this point, David has the right heart. And this is what Joshua needed in that moment. My eyes are toward you, God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me. Right? This, <laughs> this should be our heart's cry, that our life is in the Lord. And wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we are foreigners in a foreign land. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. It's not to say that we're uncomfortable there because God has placed us here as an ambassador of the king who is conquering the land and transforming the land for the better. So we're not uncomfortable in this land, but we know whose land we are of, right? We know whose family we are of. Now we're on Jeremiah 3, and it starts out, If a man divorces his wife, and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me, declares the Lord? Now I'll start off by saying, Hosea kind of gives the opposite picture of this. So, you know, God has both aspects of who he is one is mercy and grace and an enabling of a truly repentant broken-hearted people to come back to him and the other is my righteousness is the only way and i must have a people that stand in my righteousness and if you don't want to be a part of those people you will be judged and eliminated right mm -hmm. so both are true of god and in this part he's saying look you've you've chosen to go your own way. You can no longer be my bride. I will take out a remnant people and they will be my people. And then he goes on and he t talks about how Judah saw Israel. So we just talked about it. Judah and Israel, they had originally been one country. They split apart. There were two countries. Israel went, was really bad and um, was always going after foreign gods. And they were judged uh, first. Assyria conquered them, and there were no more. And Judah, he, what he's saying here is, you should have seen the consequences for Israel and repented and returned to me. But you're being just as bad. You're going the same way as Israel has gone. And so the consequences will come on you. I've said it often, but this same picture is the picture that we see in Revelation of the two different women. It's Israel is like Babylon, Right? that she's just to be completely judged. She's completely evil. She's riding the beast. She's a fully a part of, of the evil one system. And then we have the woman in Revelation 12 who goes through difficulty, but then we see the children, the sons, come out of her and be established. He takes care of her. So she goes through the same difficulty, and that's exactly what happened. Israel was never, even though this, even though this prophecy here, and the prophecy about Israel coming back to Judah has to do with end time stuff. It's not that country. This is a picture of the church, people coming out of all all sorts of areas of the world, and um, the sorry, I blanked out here. Hold on, sorry, I just forgot where I'm going. I still don't remember. But so Judah here represents this uh, Revelation twelve woman who goes through difficulty, but comes out, a children, a remnant comes out of her and is reestablished. And that's exactly what happens to Judah. Um, they, they get conquered by Babylon. They go into captivity, but then they come out. A remnant people come out. It's been thought, investigated, that maybe it was only 5%, but they came out and Judah was reestablished. And so, anyways, going back to the couple parts I highlighted, seven, and I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me, but she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. So I've kind of covered that. Fourteen, return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city, and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. 
So here we have this picture of a people that say, you know what, I'm not going to choose the way that all those past generations chose. I'm going to notice that they didn't choose the Lord and there was judgment on them. And I'm going to choose you, God. And he says, I will bring these and establish my Mount Zion, my holy people. 15, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So he he's establishing judges and priests. You see that? And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. So he says they're not going to be a covenant. The, the Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's presence was, right? He said, that's the old way. 17, at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. So Jerusalem, we know from the New Testament, that's the people of God, right? The, the holy people of God set apart unto him. That is his city. Be called the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. So now we have a people living purely for the Lord. If we want to bring in Joshua and David, it's people that not just sometimes, but all the time look to the Lord and follow the Lord and walk in his wisdom. And you see that this light is shining in all the world and all the world is streaming to it. The people who say, I don't want darkness. I want the light. You see that? That's God's plan. That's what God is doing. And we end in Matthew 17, which starts with the Mount of Transfiguration. And what we see here is God is giving a new level of authority to Jesus because he has proved himself dedicated to the Lord, obedient to the Lord. He not only says, this is my beloved son, which he said at his baptism. Now he's saying, with whom, and with whom, sorry, at his baptism he did say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He said all that. Now he's added to it, listen to him. He's added an extra, obviously he had a lot of authority before. He's casting on demons, he's healing the sick, right? He obviously was already walking in authority. But now he's walking into a fuller level, a full, I, I really think this is the, the time when, when he's kind of reached the pinnacle of the authority of a son of God. Because he's proven himself uh, faithful and obedient. And God says, listen to him. He has the full authority to represent me in this world. And uh, you see the way Peter, James, and John are. He's wanting, Peter's wanting to build tents. Like they still can't get their mind around the spiritual realities and just be. <laughs> uh, but he's, you know, he's working on teaching them. And then he quickly goes and starts teaching them about faith, right? Um And that happens with a, a boy, a man comes up and says, my boy, he's throwing himself in the fire. Today, we would have all kinds, the, the things that are afflicting people is multiplying out there. And people come up with all kinds of pseudo-scientific ways of describing them so that they can feel good about what they have without just going back to the basics. Well, here it was described as a demon. And that's not to say you can't give things other labels. You can give the same thing, lots of labels, right? But when we forget that we're in a spiritual battle, a, a kingdom of God versus a kingdom of darkness, then we get all confused and we just live and we add medications and we, we, we do all kinds of things to 
help us to sort of get by living with these things instead of overcoming them. Jesus overcame them. But his disciples couldn't, and they asked, why? Why could you throw out this demon, but we couldn't? He says, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So I think we talked a lot about faith yesterday. It's the key to everything. If we believe, have hope and faith, we can walk into the fullness of the life of God, which will then eventually come with greater and greater levels of authority, greater levels of wisdom and understanding from the Lord, a closeness to God, the fullness of God in us. That is his plan for us. But it takes faith to enter in. When we believe the ways of the world, we're worshiping the enemy. Obviously, no one's going around saying, I'm a Satan worshiper. It's just the reality that when we let the world set the terms of our understanding, that's what's happening. Jesus says, don't live that way. Live by faith. And then they come and they want a temple tax. And, and you know, Peter, I guess, asks him if, you know, we pay the tax. Well, because they asked Peter. What, and Peter says, oh, yeah, yeah, we pay the tax. And so he says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Peter says, from others. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. See, he's saying, as you're raised up as a son of God, you're free from the rules of this world. Mm-hmm. You understand that? That's what we are just talking about. Faith, going beyond the rules of this world so that, the rules that govern our lives are God's rules. And we're completely in, it's not like we're running around lawless. We're completely in submission to God and his rules and his laws and his ways. But the rules of this world are no longer restraining us. Now, so does that mean I don't have to pay the tax? No, but then what does he go on to say? He says, hey, we have no reason to offend him. We'll go ahead and pay the tax. Right? He says, we're not constrained by these rules, but look, we're in this society. We'll go ahead and pay the tax. You see that? I'm not, he said, I'm not bothered. We're, we're, he, he, look, he gets, a, he gets a piece of gold from a fish's mouth, right? So it just shows, look, I, you know, other people, it might be this horrible thing to have to pay this tax, but God will bring me gold in a fish's mouth and we'll just give him that gold and they'll be satisfied and we'll go on in the full understanding we're not bound by those laws. God just provided us a piece of gold to give to them. Mm-hmm. You see that? I mean, this is obviously dramatic. I've never had anything <laughs> quite that dramatic happen. But but this is a, a truth and a reality that we are walking into. So it's important to understand that this is the reality. This is the kingdom Jesus came to introduce and that he taught about and that he preached about. This is the reality for God's people. Not that we have a religion but that we enter into a life. See that? Mm-hmm. All right. I don't have anything more. Do you? No. God bless you. God bless you. You going back to sleep? I wish. <laughs> you wish. Well, you got a little time. We started early today.